0: Hey, Matthew chapter 5, you know I have in my notes it says continuing our summer in the Sermon on the Mount and yet when I was driving here this morning I thought man it feels like fall (laughs) like anybody else feel that way? No No, just me then, okay. (laughs) All right we got we got some time of summer so we're in the summer, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, uh, or the Beatitudes, or as Pastor Brent calls them, the B-attitudes. And I want to continue uh, where we left off with Pastor Brent at verse 21, and it's right at that point where Jesus begins to speak about the law. A few verses before, he raises the issue of the law, and, and how he came to fulfill the law. And I... I want to look at that this morning um, because he said something really profound to his disciples and then to us as well. He, he told them, he says, that their righteousness had to exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. And I, I believe that if you and I were there that day, knowing what they knew, having been raised uh, as Jews, have been, having been indoctrinated in Judaism under the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes, when Jesus said that, you could have heard a pin drop. It would have been like, what? I mean, this isn't enough. And I I believe in order to continue through our our study this morning, we have to have a a little deeper understanding about the law, about what, what Jesus was talking about. You see, according to rabbinical sources, these are the commentaries written by rabbis over the, over the years, over the ages, there are 613 laws or commandments. And then they further broke those down into two groups, 248 positive commandments, or the shouts, if you want to call them that. And then there was 365 negative commandments, or the shall nots. And if that wasn't bad enough, six hundred and thirteen commandments, the Pharisees added hundreds of additional laws and traditions above and over the law which God had given to Moses. You see, they, they wanted to be so sure they were right and righteous that they they would look at the law that God had given and and say, okay, now when we apply that, we need to make sure that we do it this way or that way. And, And they wanted to be absolutely certain. And of course, they taught others how to do that as well. And they taught what they believe was needed to obtain righteousness. And you know, that's really what religion is, isn't it? It's trying to keep something in order to obtain something. And, you know, the church isn't immune to those things. And I I have found, you know, whenever there is a teaching on the law or a discussion about the law, there's two trains of thought usually. Um, we're not under the law or we're under grace. Right? And, and that's not necessarily wrong, but I think we need to understand that when we say we're not under the law, we're not under the penalty of the law. The wages of sin is death, Paul said. And, and, and the law judges us according to sin and righteousness. And just because we say that we're no longer under the law, that doesn't give us license to murder, does it? So we, we still recognize... That the law is in effect, but we're no longer under the penalty as Christians. And so I I wanna look at all of that this morning as we continue through our study, because Jesus says in Matthew 23, verse 4, about the Pharisees and the scribes for they bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay on them, or lay them on men's shoulders but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. And, and I, I kind of sense that the Pharisees recognized that they were adding all this stuff and making it hard for people to really come to God and understand God, but they were so bound in their self-righteousness that they, they wouldn't even suggest or recommend to someone, uh, you know, don't, don't worry about it so much. Oh, they they were scrupulous about it. And, And so Jesus, when he was talking about the righteousness of the Pharisees, he was condemning them for making a mockery of what God had originally intended. They said, for example, the Pharisees said, for example, if you swear by the temple, it's nothing. But if you swear by the gold in the temple then you are obliged to perform it. Or another, if you swear by the altar, it is nothing. But if you swear by the gift that is on it, then you are obliged to perform it. And and these and other things, they were um, known to kind of take the word of God and twist it to meet their own wants and needs and trying to maintain their authority and power over people. But there were so many other things. They were, they were scrupulous about tithing mint and anise and, and cumin, you know, you, these little herbs, seeds, you know, making sure that, you know, for every 10 there was one and, you know, for every 100 there was 10 and, you know, just sitting there counting these things. But Jesus said that in doing this, they were neglecting the weightier matters of the law. And I I find that an interesting statement, the weightier matters of law. And he defines that as justice, mercy, and faith. So here here we see Jesus talking about the Pharisees, uh, talking about all the laws that were given to uh, Moses, given to the people. And Jesus now, in just one comment, brings it down to three principles. Justice, mercy, and faith. But the Pharisees were so busy straining out gnats, but eating camels. They cleansed the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they were full of extortion and self-indulgence. Jesus said that they were like whitewashed tombs appearing beautiful outwardly and inside, but inside were full of dead man's bones and all uncleanliness. Now you can, you can take a corpse and you can dress it up. You can apply some makeup and make it look presentable, but and not trying to be crass here, but it's still a corpse. In, inside there's no life. And it, time goes on, it begins to... Rot. And so their their outward appearance to most people, the Pharisees' outward appearance to most people was you know, wow, they're righteous. Look at the way they carry on, you know, the way they pray, the way they walk, making sure not to touch anything unclean and counting, you know, even the little seeds and all that stuff. But it was just outward appearances. Inside they were just like you and I, with thoughts and passions and desires not always conforming to the word of God. When Jesus taught, he taught rightly. He taught with power. He taught with authority. And the people recognized it. And he taught God's command to honor father and mother. You know, it's, we're told in scripture, it's the first command with a promise. Long life. I'm, my parents have passed on. You know, I had, I had issues with my, with my parents. My dad and I, we struggled for years, you know. We didn't talk to each other for almost three years. They've passed on, but I want to honor them by not speaking ill about them, by not saying my dad could have done better or my mom should have listened to me, or and condemning them. I want to honor my mother and father. And he said, Jesus said, he says, He who curses father or mother, let them be put to death. That's that's what the law stated. But the scribes and the Pharisees said, whoever tells their father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me has now been given as a gift to God. Now I'm no longer required to honor my father and mother. So my, my mom and dad might be struggling uh, financially or economically or whatever else, but because I've now taken what the Lord has blessed me with and given it as, a, as an offering to God, I'm no longer required to obey that law. Now, Brent said last week that the purpose of the law, according to Paul in Galatians chapter 3, verse 24, was to be our tutor, our teacher, with the intent to bring us to Christ. So we see that something that was that was given in the Old Testament had New Testament implications, and Jesus now joins the two together and says, this was all done so that you could come to me. Why? Because he was the fulfillment of the law. What you and I are unable to do in keeping the law, Jesus did, and he did it perfectly. He was tempted in every way, the Bible says, and yet was without sin. I can't even say that of myself today. So it was to be our tutor. And as we, as we look at the law, we see that the law was never intended to make us righteous in order to justify us. And Paul very clearly teaches in Romans, the law never justifies. It only condemns. So these 613 laws can be divided into three groups. We, we see moral laws, we see ceremonial laws, we see judicial laws. And all of them, if you, if you look at them and you think about it, all of them relate in some way to one or more of the Ten Commandments. And so the Ten Commandments then becomes a summary of the entire law. And, and you know, really when we talk about law, we're talking about the Word of God. Not specifically the actual Mosaic law that was handed down, but the word of God. And really we see even in the word of God that the Ten Commandments summarizes the word of God. Now the Ten Commandments found in Exodus chapter 20, we can further divide those into two distinct groups. The first four of the commandments are related to our our relationship with God. And the next six commandments speak about our relationship with each other or our relationship to man. In Matthew 22, we see Jesus being approached by a lawyer and a lawyer asks the question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? When you look there, you'll notice something. What did Jesus say to him? Did Jesus say that all the laws were equally valid? Did he go through the 613 laws? Did he summarize it through the Ten Commandments? Did he, did he say, do everything that the Pharisees and the scribes tell you to do? No. Jesus says to him two things. Love the Lord your God with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your heart. And love your neighbor as yourself. So now he takes the Ten Commandments, and he brings it down to two principles. Love the Lord, love your neighbor. Now with regards to love, Paul has a lot to say about that on the subject of love, and he actually makes the case that without love, nothing we do is of value. It doesn't matter how much we think we're right, it doesn't matter how much we do to be right. If we're doing it without love, it has no value. And so it becomes a matter of the heart. Not a matter of keeping the law or being legalistic or being lawless or becoming a Pharisee, but simply loving. Loving God and loving others. If we don't love others, we can't really say we love God. John makes that case. If we love God, then we must love others. I want you to look at verse 21 of our text. It says there, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. So Jesus, as he begins his exposition of the law, he's not going to look at the entire law. He's going to look at a couple of of the principles of the law. And this first one is murder. Jesus begins by giving us the letter of the law. Because everyone that was there that day would say, yep, that's what the law says. You shall not murder. And then he teaches the bigger principle that is at work in the law as he continues in verse 22. And notice what he says at the beginning. But I say... Oh, that was, that was a provocative statement. Jesus was declaring his power. He was declaring his authority. And yes, he was declaring his deity. Because the Pharisees would have immediately have said, well, what do you mean you say? Who do you think you are? Speaking over God. God said we should not murder, but you say? you're you're Mary's illegitimate son. You're just the carpenter. But he continues, but I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Racha, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now the Apostle John says that whoever sins commits lawlessness. And that's, that's what sin is. It's the breaking of God's word it's a breaking of god's law and james warns us about how we are to use our tongues he calls it an unruly evil full of deadly poison with the tongue we bless god and curse men who are made in the image of god we just sang some beautiful worship songs guard your hearts brothers and sisters when you leave this place You run into a difficult thing. Don't start thinking ill towards that person. Don't say words of anger or words of hate. We've just praised God with our tongues. Out of the same mouth proceed blessings and cursings. These things ought not to be. If we are angry at someone or curse someone or even think of them in a way that murders them in our minds, Jesus warns us that we are breaking the commandment, Thou shalt not murder. Our love for others drives us to reconciliation. If we have an issue with someone, we are to reconcile to them. Even if we're not sure how. You know, we don't pretend that everything is okay. Stay out of their sphere of influence. Stay on the opposite side of the church if they're on this side of the church. Cross the street when you run into them in town. No, we're supposed to go to them out of love and be reconciled with them. If they have an issue with us and you know it, and they don't approach you, then we're supposed to approach them out of love. Let's move on into verses 23 and 24. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on, your, on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge. The judge hand you over to the officer and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there till you have paid the last penny. So he's, he's giving a, an earthly example to a, a heavenly reality. We, we come to worship God, but if we're holding something in our heart against a brother or a sister, we know they're holding something in our heart against us. How can we truly worship God and praise God, the Father of love? We ought to first go and be reconciled. And then when we have been reconciled with our brother or sister, then we can come and worship together and praise God. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus has done for us, reconciling us to the Father, that we can be with Him for all of eternity. Jesus said, "Love God, love others." In verse 27, he gives us another example or another principle from the law. Verse 27, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. And again, everybody there would have said, Yep, that's what the the law says. You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, again, exerting his authority, that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, this is, a really good witnessing tool. When you talk to somebody, are you a good person? Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a great person. Everybody likes me. I'm a good person. Um, well, let's see how good you are. You ever murdered anybody? Nope, never murdered anybody. Ever been angry with someone? Oh, yeah, really angry. Uh, have you wanted to kill them? Oh, yeah, wanted to kill them. Well, you've committed murder in your heart. Have you ever committed adultery? Nope, no, nope, love my wife, never committed adultery. You ever looked at another woman with lust in your heart? Yeah, okay, well, Jesus said you've committed adultery. So you see, it's not just the letter of the law, it's the broader principle of the law that Jesus wants to make us aware of. And and there there were various laws concerning adultery in both the Old and the New Testament, but the underlying principle of that particular law is covetousness. It's interesting, you know, when we talk about the Ten Commandments, we generally bring that law, the Tenth Commandment, down to you shall not commit adultery. But the law is actually about covetousness. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife. You're not to covet his house, his servants, his ox, his donkey, you know, his brand new iPad or truck or... Swimming pool or hot tub. You know, whatever, whatever it is that kind of makes you go, mm, how did he get that? Yeah, how come I don't have that? And you start to think ill towards your neighbor. It's covetousness. And he continues on in verse 29. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it out and cast it from you, for it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, if we did that literally, uh, we'd all be blind and we'd all have no hands. Think about this for a moment. What was it that caused man to fall in the garden? Well, we could say that it was lust of the flesh and lust of the eyes. Because Eve saw... The fruit of the tree that God had told them they were not to partake of, and she saw that it was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes, so it, it satisfied her flesh and it satisfied her eyes, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, so we need to we need to be careful what captures our hearts that 's the principle of the law. Of, of adultery but it's covetousness what captures our hearts no matter how good it might feel we need to consider what jesus is teaching here furthermore verse 31 jesus talks now about divorce furthermore it has been said whoever divorces his wife let him give her a certificate of divorce but i say to you That whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. That is a hard teaching in this day and age. But it was a hard teaching then as well. Because under the law of Moses, Moses permitted divorce for any reason. And the, the rabbis uh, in their commentaries talk about, uh, you know, uh, what, what, what happens if my wife burns toast and I'm not happy with the way she, she cooks. Can I divorce her for that? And one group of rabbis said, oh, yeah, absolutely, for any reason at all. Another group of rabbis said, well, you know we're not, we're not so sure. Jesus is pointing us back to the original intent of, of God, is that you don't divorce your wife unless it's for sexual immorality, because the law required the immoral person to be stoned, killed. But he's, he's broadening our understanding of, of the law. It's so easy to get a divorce nowadays. All you have to do is, is say, and I'm, I'm not telling you how to get a divorce, okay? Just make sure of that. But in, 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 in the law today, really all you have to do is say, well, we're just, we're just not compatible any longer. You know, we've been together for 20 years, and we just kind of went our separate ways. And, you know, we just want to make it legal and be done with it. Or you hear this, this term, irreconcilable differences. I mean, I, I struggle even saying that word. I don't even know what it means. Irreconcilable. You know, we just can't, we can't be reconciled. What does the word of God, God say? Be reconciled. You know we have so many reasons, and and plans, and we plot and scheme, and you know I don't know what it is, but you know perhaps your spouse isn't as looking as good as he used to be. He's no longer Fabio, you know, He's no longer handsome like Brent, you know. Maybe she's no longer putting the quiver in your liver, you know. Maybe they no longer satisfy the eye or the flesh. Or or someone else has captured your your eye and you're giving in to those feelings. Well, it must be right. I feel so good. And and, And Jesus is telling us, he's suggesting to us, well, he's not suggesting, he's telling us, it's more than just following the letter of the law. It's much broader than that. It's applying the principle of the law. And so we need to look at the law in in light of how it was given. We have to use the law righteously. So if what you're doing is showing love for another, do it. If you're not sure, don't do it if you're drawn to love someone else and you have your wife, don't do it. Love your wife because you love God. You see, Jesus said that ultimately the whole law is about loving God. That's why God gave us the law in the first place, to protect us, to teach us how we can know Him. And in in the garden... He only gave one law, don't eat from the tree, just look to me, I will will meet all your needs, just love me, and we couldn't even keep that law, and so we have these 613 laws, and they added a whole bunch more laws to them, and then we look at the 10 commandments, and we we can't keep those, Jesus is bringing us back to the original command, full circle, back to the garden. Love God. Love others. It's the commandment to love. He gave his disciples and us a new commandment to follow, to love one another. And John says later on in the letters of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, he says in there, it's not a new commandment at all. It's an old commandment. Right back to the garden. Love God. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. First John chapter four, verse seven. I'll ask the worship team to come up now as I close. So this is this is where I've I've come to. If I find myself in a situation where I don't know what to do, the beatitudes, the be attitudes are a great place. To meditate on. For example, if I don't know what to do, I want to err on the side of mercy. Because verse seven of our of our text in Matthew five says, Blessed are the merciful. You can't go wrong giving mercy. Even even if you apply mercy wrongly, you're doing it for mercy's sake, and what does God say? For they shall obtain mercy. I did it for the right reasons. Maybe it was wrongly applied, but, but I wanted to give them mercy. I've learned from it, Lord. Give me mercy. I just want to say that trying to keep 613 commandments, laws, statutes, principles, precepts, is hard. It's, it's impossible. But loving others, loving God... We can do that. It's a matter of the heart. Let's pray. Father, we just pray for your spirit to come. Change your hearts, Lord. If we hold anything against someone, or if we know someone is holding something against us, Lord, teach us to love. As you have loved us, let us also love others. Lord, we are to love you with our, our hearts, our minds, our souls, and really that is our whole being. And then and then you said love others. Lord, if we love you that way, then we ought to love them that way too. We are your representatives here on earth. Father, teach us to love, I pray. Bless our pastor. Love him. Help him to continue to teach us to love you and to love Jesus and to love others. Father, we thank you in the name of the Lord. Amen.